Hi, Steph. Hi, Ashley. I'm super excited about the guest that we have today. I almost can't believe that we got her. Me too. I can't wait to hear all of the different things she has to say. I know she will bring so much rich conversation to our podcast. Yeah, so today we are interviewing Sean Prime. Sean Prime is an educator. She runs the enterprise all across uh, Goldsmiths College, which is a University of London college. There's so many things about Sean Prime, I almost don't even know where to begin but she's worked with the Arts Council. She's done work with the British Council. She's worked across many different countries, continents, um, and she works with tons of creative entrepreneurs and social enterprises. And she is quite creative herself. And I'm really excited to talk to her today. And so Sean, welcome to Curious About Creativity. Thank you very much for having me. I love the title of your podcast and I'm really grateful to be invited. So thanks both. Sometimes it's it's quite nice to be able to imagine uh, the person that's speaking. I'm a white, cis, middle-aged woman with dyed red hair. Uh, it's, it's looking quite a good flame colour today. I'm quite pleased with it. Slightly quiffed up. I've got glasses blue eyes and um, a reddish brown lipstick and uh, quite a lot of jewellery, uh, big earrings and rings. Uh, and I'm wearing a black dress. And that's quite a usual look for me. So that, that might help you get an idea of who I am as well, as well as what I do. Love that. And do you know, I have to say, you're one of the few people I've known that can, can match a lipstick almost perfectly. If it's okay with you, we were just going to jump in and start asking you some questions. <laughs> please do, please do. But I just want to say as well that not only do I love the title of the podcast, but I think what you and Steph are doing is great because I think we uh, we mystify creativity so much and it's really nice to have a pragmatic podcast that's exploring this. I think that's how this sort of began was Steph and I both, I think we are both really creative people and we both fly in different creative circles. And we had this conversation one day of like, why can't we just figure creativity out? Because sometimes, you know, it flows like a river and then sometimes it's a drought. And yeah, but it's, it's something that we've both been really curious about. I know I've been really curious about it my whole life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we often think that we're not creative as well, or only certain types of people can be creative. And I really strongly disagree with that. So I'm really curious to see what comes out of our conversations and kind of how people identify as creative and, um, and also kind of encouraging people who perhaps don't see themselves as creative to kind of lean into those um, parts of themselves and give it a go. Also, Steph, I think you brought up a really good point. The thing that we wanted to focus on for this season was all about giving it a go. And Sean, I think this is where your expertise comes into play, because I know I've had a lot of different conversations with you where you've just been like, just try it, just whatever it is, just try it. And then I've also witnessed you encourage and cheerlead, I mean, countless other people into just being like, get out there and see what you can do. And it doesn't have to be perfect. So with that being said, let's start with the first question. So, Ms. Sean Prime, uh, when did you realize that you were creative or that creativity was going to be a major part of your life? I'm going to take the first bit second. I think it was late in life that I realized how privileged I am, and I feel ridiculous for that. I've been aware because I had, I had amazing parents, and I 
didn't realize what privilege that was. I just thought that's what you got. I also, and this makes me sound so dumb, I didn't realize until I was 18 uh, how rare it is to have a mum who is also an entrepreneur. I mean, not I knew not every mum had their own business, but I, I just thought mums did, did a lot and dads did a lot. And it didn't ever occur to me that there was a gender divide. I know this is curious about creativity, not curious about gender politics, but I think it's it's really important for me to say that I was brought up by two amazing people. And my mum was a dance teacher and my dad was an English teacher. I'm the first generation of women to go to university from my family. And I only, again, this is how dumb I am, I only really worked that out about two weeks ago. Because my mum was a professional, I just didn't think about, and I think that's also interesting where we how we validate knowledge and experience. My dad was his first generation to go to, to university and he only went to university because he was a rubbish builder. His dad was a builder and my dad just could not build a brick wall. So because he couldn't do that, it was a good job. He was quite clever and he managed to get into university. So he taught English and he taught, didn't teach me, he imbued me with a love of words, of reading, of writing, of risking writing, and of storytelling, which I know is, is Ashley's complete forte. And my mum uh, was a dance teacher, and she was very clear to me from about the age of six that it was just a hobby for me. But, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, so I think it's also really interesting that from six, there were certain things that were ruled out of my career choice. Um, <laughs> And I think also the way that dance is often taught in this country, it's not a creative act, it's a discipline. So I think I learned about the discipline of creativity from both of them. And I think I, my, my only rebellion against my parents is, mum taught me not to take risks creatively. And I rebelled about that. The shorter answer to your question about creativity being part of my life, I didn't know it couldn't be. I had no idea, and that's where my privilege comes from. And I also was brought up in, so I've adopted the accent that you can hear. And if I really relax, or if I have a couple of drinks, or I get really tired. And I also noticed that over lockdown, my natural accents begun to come out a bit more because I'm not talking to people so much, I guess. So I'm from Essex. I'm from Southend in Essex. But somebody told me that unless I dropped my Essex accent, nothing would come of me. But because we went to, because I went to this rough school, I was part, again, so, so privileged. I was part of a time in Britain where they literally bust people up to London to go and see culture, just to stop us going to the bad. So, wow. so I, yeah, so I got bussed up uh, to London, to museums, to galleries and to dance and to theatre. So creativity was always part of my life and it didn't occur to me, it couldn't be a career choice. I just knew I couldn't dance. <laughs> and my dad told me not to be a teacher. <laughs> and so I had to work out very quietly rebellious ways to bring those things into my life. It was only when I was 18 that I realised I didn't, at that stage, have the confidence to be a performer. I had thought I would be a performer of some kind. And of course I am in some ways. Um, and the way that I teach, I think, and, and other things that I do. So it took me a long while to work out what my creativity was. And that's the second, the answer to your first thing is for a long while, I, I would have argued that I'm not creative at all. Really? Yeah, I would have really, I would have, 
I wouldn't have had an argument, but I would have argued that I wasn't. And I still struggle with owning that word. I still feel very shy about that word because my role in life and my skill is in spotting in spotting other people's creativity and where their shyness and their their circumstances mean that they, they don't take it to the extent that they, they could do. And I'm not creative unless I have that spark. And I didn't realize that that in itself is a form of creativity. And the fact that I've always written, the fact that I've done this and that never occurred to me as being me being creative. But I'm going to own that. That's, that's my form of creativity is, is, is being able to riff off of other people's. In, that's my strongest set of creativity. That's part of your inspiration as well, is that humility that you have around creativity. Because I know that we've had this conversation at some point in time, whether it was in a classroom or a bar or a pub, excuse me, but like, but like that thing of like realizing that the way in which you encourage others is exactly what you said. It is a form of creativity. It's, it's a way in which you see things I mean, if I could put it into a metaphor, I think it's one of those things where like, I feel like you walk into an art gallery of blank canvases and you see the beautiful paintings around you and you just have to get the artists to believe that they can paint them. Well, that's really kind and quite um, moving. So I really like it when you say bar because it always sounds more classy than a pub. So I've worked for a long while in this sort of strange field of creative entrepreneurship. But I, I see it in a way, I think my skill set, and again, this is parallel to, to you both in different ways, I suppose. I see my skill set around being pro a producer. That yeah. I can see where something could go. And it's my job to put the conditions around that to make that happen. And I suppose that instinct of what those conditions are, because for every person I've said, go bigger, go this, there are times where my mom's voice comes out and, and I'm like, mm, maybe this is one for staying in your notebook. So mm. I'm also really aware that for everybody I've encouraged, there will be somebody out there that I've discouraged, perhaps unintentionally. Perhaps I've wanted them to, to go back and think about it differently. And it may have had a bigger impact than I hoped. And I think also that's so important to think about when when and I keep coming back to this word about privilege, but I think one of the things that my, the role that I've found myself in created, I'm gonna go back in my career. So I, was, I worked for the Arts Council for a while. I was dance and combined arts officer. Combined arts back in the day being, being art forms that they didn't know what else to do with, plus festivals, plus art centers, plus celebratory arts, plus anything really. So, but I loved, I loved that mixture of things that were without definition so it made me really excited to actually work with areas that were were underdeveloped but I think again one of the massive privileges that I had working for, as an arts council officer is I was the first audience for an idea as the person that's working with creative entrepreneurs I'm often their first audience and a bit like press night if I give it the right reaction that work will grow and grow and grow and if I give it the wrong reaction then it might not and I think as I've matured and as people have trusted me more and more, I've got a bit better at being in that kind of role of first audience stroke producer. But it's, it's a really interesting way of seeing that, that kind of, yeah, that working with an artist to have the confidence to put that first brush stroke on canvas 
because that's hugely scary sometimes. This feels very Spider-Man-y, but like, do you think that that's like with that is a great amount of responsibility that you have towards the artist and the creative entrepreneur? Yeah, definitely. And and that's why I think I have to hold, I have to hold as dearly my, I'm not going to say failures, but my not quite got it right as much as I hold the people that it, my style works for. Because every time I don't get it right, I have to apologize. And I've done that a lot. And I, and I, I, I say that with a laugh in my voice, but I, it's because it's so painful when I've, when I've realized I've got it wrong. But that come, that's the learning place. And it's awful that my materials are people and people's ideas. So I have learned a lot and quite fast, I think. But I'm aware that I, I don't always get it right because it's such a peculiar cocktail of things. My personality, their personality, their conditions of success. I think me holding that, it's, you know, it's, it's like that poem, isn't it? Treading lightly on somebody's dreams. So, um, which is not the exact phrase at all. My dad, I just felt my dad going, I could have quoted that correctly. <laughs> um, so I, I have to tread lightly on their dreams but you don't have to know that I'm treading on your dream at all because that's that might make you self-conscious and not tell me your idea most fully. And I know you didn't ask this question, but if I could ban anything in this world, I would ban the pitch. I want somebody to tell me their idea without thinking they're going to win or lose anything by telling me it. Interesting. You just blew my mind a little bit. That's a really interesting mm -hmm. thing, especially because I, I mean, I know the work that I've done with creative entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And like, literally that's everything that I teach them is like, how do you have a great pitch? How do you get people and all that sort of stuff? But I think that's so interesting of like, yeah, just come to me with raw materials and let's see how that goes. Really well for a podcast. I was shaking my finger, Ashley. And <laughs> because you don't, that's not what you do. I've seen you do what you do. You don't tell people how to get a pitch you tell them how to tell a story their story if they want or their audience's story and then it ends up as a pitch yeah okay you're in my gang you're in the band the pitch gang I was going to say in a way a pitch privileges certain people as well doesn't it, it privileges people who are confident who've had people around them to build them up who've had perhaps particular training particular life experiences and actually you know if you are someone who who hasn't had that privilege you know walking into an art college for example and that being kind of really part of part of the deal I did a ceramics degree and uh, an art foundation but there was almost an element of that weaved in you know that you go to your crit and that you've got to pitch what you've done and then it either sinks or it, it flies and um, and it's really what they they don't necessarily support you uh, on is that kind of inner kind of confidence or kind of that inner story and and kind of owning that narrative and sometimes I think it can bash out the authenticity can't it within it because you end up trying to build something that works for other people but actually isn't fully your own I think that's so right I think we so I think one of the things about most highly creative people that I work with is that level of empathy that they have and the level of uh, being able to listen to an audience so I think particularly when you're at art college or in the funding system being so aware of so I, I one of the things I try to remember always is my privilege uh, and status and people will overhear what I say and they should do I understand they should do because I'm a program leader 
and or I'm, I'm a gateway to funds or I'm gateway to whatever they've defined success as. And it is, it's, it's wonderful to, you know, there's a moment, I'm saying it's wonderful, there is a moment, of course, where it's great when you know you've been listened to, but you should also feel a bit sick with nerves, with fear that you've changed something um, rather than supported its evolution. And I think when we see, when we hear the language change, like my accent changed, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And that, and that obviously, you know, that happens in crits because you start learning the, the vocabulary to use back to the tutor and to the art world to gain th- your way through the gateways that are, are part of the whole system of art. It's complex, it's hard. For those of us who don't know, what is a crit? Oh, good question. So a crit is critical feedback. Oh, yeah. And I think most people, uh, well, most students would say that a crit is just, they think of it just as criticism, but it should be critical feedback. Personally, I mean, being someone who didn't land with lots of self-confidence, I think, and um, uh, being in a space um, in a very competitive art college, it was very uncomfortable. And and I sort of certainly, I, I often think what I would do differently now if I went back to art college, having understood a little, a loads more about myself and my style and what is important to me. And actually not, like you said, um, Sean, not, yeah, not saying the things I think people want me to say or want to hear. I mean, I think in one way there, there's something that even though I found them very uncomfortable, they also taught me a lot. And there's something about you know having a rhythm of knowing you're going to do that every two weeks and knowing you've got to present and knowing you've got to show up so there is you know there's definitely real positives to them but I think when you just suddenly arrive and that's what you uh, step into kind of being very uh, frightened of what that might uh, entail it is a bit of a, a strange scenario to be in I think for some people. It, oh gosh of course and I think so one thing that you're highlighting there is how little art education has evolved since, gosh, I, I can't even think since when, but it, it's very much the master artist teaching the apprentice artist model. And so you have a go, you get shown a technique, you get given a theme sometimes, or you're allowed to just express, you have a go, then you step back. And first of all, the master gives you that feedback and then the rest of your peers do and it's your job to keep quiet and absorb that feedback and process it and then respond and that's a very it's a it's a way that that works obviously otherwise it would have evolved but there's so much within that that is around replicating and it's a male language there's hierarchies within that status within it that's quite complex now I think turning up and not having the lexicon explained to you of this is what a crit means and this is how you behave it, all of that um disempowers a student straight away particularly if you're a student that's first generation and perhaps even from a, a school that i was the only person from my school that went to do creative arts as well and that's because of my amazing parents so i had some of that vocabulary when i went in but that's also and i am going to big myself up here but that's where Uh, we're really careful to try and build in a technique that's um, influenced by Liz Lerman, a dance artist, where we try to put students a little bit more in control of, I will often ask a student, I've got an opinion on this, do you want to hear it? And it's hard for the student to say no, because they don't really believe they can say no. But it's okay. And I, I, I think it's really important to check 
with anybody you're giving critical feedback on, what do you want the feedback on? Is it on the whole piece? Is it on my view of the piece? Is it on the fact that I coordinate my lipstick with my hair? Is it on, what is it that you want feedback on? Otherwise it can so quickly disempower and creativity never goes, but it takes a lot of courage to get back and do it again, unless you're in that rhythm. Like you say, so that, that fortnightly rhythm is really important too. Do you know what I think is really interesting that both of you brought up in this? The idea that when you're in a creative arts education, the capacity for you to gain confidence is solely, it's a, it's a personal endeavor and it's not necessarily something, it's not something that's necessarily taught. Now I have to say, as being a, a former student of yours, I do think that you have done a great job with your students to educate them on what it means to be confident and to try and help them in that part of their journey the minute that you meet them. This is part of the transformation that I see you do with students all the time. But I think that that's something that we don't really talk about in education, number one, in creativity too, but specifically in creative arts education. And I think that that's an important factor as well of like teaching confidence as you go. Yeah, I thinking about some of the things that we do that, that are standard in the sorts of things that I teach. So we talk about cultural capital, we talk about, cult, uh, we talk about social capital. So we give things fancy frameworks and really strong and important framework. So, so I teach at Goldsmiths, which is predominantly an arts, humanities and social sciences college. So the, the way that I've developed entrepreneurship education is very informed from sociologists, anthropologists, psychologists. I'm none of those things. I'm a magpie. My dad would have made a joke about me being a Dickens joke here about being a an entrepreneurial pumblechook, but um, but I grab <laughs> I grab things, I read fast, I try to learn fast. But all that to say that all the frameworks around creativity rarely address the issue of confidence. Um, very rarely they talk about you know even with somebody as wonderful as Chikzen Mahai, it's like where can you put yourself in the right state? And actually, if we layer everything and we think about the the social pressures that we're under, the social norms that we're under, do we have access to the right networks? All of those things, plus then pile on our own responses to critical feedback, our own doubts, our own confidence that has come from goodness knows where. Yeah, those, those first weeks of working with somebody, and it isn't really just first weeks, because every time you start a new creative venture, we're back in that, that feeling of vulnerability. And I think that's where Adrian and I, so I work very closely with somebody called Adrian and I think everybody should have an Adrian in their life. And then I hope, you know, I feel like Stefan, actually you're, you're maybe, you know, it's, it's about finding that person that doesn't have to be called Adrian, <laughs> but it helps when they are. No, but finding that person that, that has the same, uh, so Adrian has the same end route as me, but a very different way of getting there with people. Mm. between us we work for each other and he 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 says things that improve my confidence for sure so that said we recognize that throughout the whole year that we work with students so every time you start something new most creatives have that sense of that this is this might be the time it doesn't work 
this might be the time that the the set of tools that I've been given that I had confidence in to do that last thing, this time it might not work. That's where an Adrian is really important. Working with creative entrepreneurs and the creative industries, what do you think is one of the main drivers of a creative's success? The caveat being success can be defined however you see fit. Mm, I love the caveat so many things isn't it success so for me the the caveat of what success is is driven by the person that I'm working with so I could go that route and I can also go the route I suppose the way that I suppose I measure my own success because I realize that going the route of the people I'm working for is slightly dodging the question which means it's it's a hard question for me to answer um Success is, it is in part me understanding what success is for the people that I work with and me helping them to find ways towards it or to make that success realistic. And that's the really hard bit about being a producer. And that's where that treading softly. My mum, as I've said, it was amazing, but my gosh, she was brutal with her feedback. Like I said, six years old, I knew what careers were not open to me. That was fine. She wasn't wrong. So understanding how to negotiate with somebody what success could be with them is really important. And then part of my success is measured against being able to do that successfully. Uh, When I've worked um, in funding programs, some of my success would be, um, so for people that can't see, my dog has just come up to to prompt me in my thinking. Um, So some of my success success for me would would sometimes be measured in terms of the amount of profit that people I work with make and I guess I came up with a a mantra and I'm sure somebody else had said it before me but I've always I've said for a long while that um, successful creative entrepreneurship balances creative value personal value social impact and value and financial value and I think when we can bring those things in tune for an individual, then, then I feel that I've achieved something and done something successful. So it's when I can encourage somebody to, to think about their creative output in terms of the impact it will have on themselves, the impact on the communities they want to influence or can't help but influence, and hopefully make enough money f- for them to be happy. And that caveat of whatever happiness is for them. Even more honestly, success for me is if I can keep learning, then I'm successful. That's just, that's just a really beautiful sentiment. Moving on to the next question. So how have you seen your creativity? I, I think we t- kind of covered this, but I, I'm curious because I actually am really curious about what your answer will be. How have you seen your creativity make positive changes in your life and the lives of others? when I'm answering from from the perspective of somebody who facilitates a creative cultural entrepreneur's journey and that cultural producer's role, when I'm allowing myself to allow instinct plus knowledge to take things forward to help people find a career and an impact that they were too shy for whatever reason to really own, that's another form of success. And that's when I really see that impact. And I see that particularly, you know, people like you, Ashley, I see it. There are countless people that have allowed me to see that. 
And I'm going to do a side one, which you can absolutely edit out. So when I turned 40, I started, uh, I started as a side career as a burlesque dancer, as, as a middle-class stripper. It was the most unexpected thing ever. I've had, uh, yeah, really unexpected by, by me and people who knew me. But I bring it because it made me a dancer. It made me understand my body in a way that I had never understood it. But more than that, after I performed, and this is something that I'm really confident to say, every time I performed, I would have women come up to me and I could read this in several ways, but when I was being positive about it, they would say that I had given them confidence to walk differently into a room to one woman told me she was going to keep the lights on when she went to bed with a partner, which she had never done. And I was like, I was like, because you've now seen what my body is like and I've got stage lights on it. <laughs> but I was in, again, in a position where I could bring an expression of body confidence and vulnerability into a space. And I think, um, I think my, my form of creativity, and I think that's where I was going earlier with, with the need for having an Adrian, is he and I ran a festival for the first time last year in the midst of the pandemic. And we thought the theme was gonna be resilience. And we listened really quickly to the people we'd programmed as well as our audiences. And the, the theme became anti-fragility and vulnerability. And around owning vulnerability and owning the space of, this is complex, this is hard, and we're gonna find ways through it. And I, I think that's where perhaps my burlesque persona and my uh, teaching with others comes together of, doing what I did yeah owning that vulnerability it's a contract right when if you're if you're a stripper or a burlesque or anything in that field there's a contract that must not be abused by the audience and by the performer and worker and if it is abused it's really obvious that it's wrong and I feel the same should be true as a cultural entrepreneur producer there's that same contract around people's beliefs that was a weird answer, wasn't it? I loved it. And you know, I'm really happy that you brought in the burlesque thing as well, because there was, I did want to mention this if you weren't going to, because I, where we've had conversations where I, I flat out had asked you, like, don't you, like, isn't there some part of you that wants to perform, like coming from the performance background of your mother, and then also the performance background of your father being a teacher, you were able to come back around and be like, yeah, I became a dancer and I became an educator which which I just think is really funny it is it, it is the weirdest 40 year old rebellion ever <laughs> but it but it also is a form of inspiration you you inspired me in that and I remember because I was I was going through something when we were talking and I had I had said something about how I was kind of scared to get because I had wanted to get back into telling stories and doing it in a performance way and I was scared to get up and be in the state be on stage and be in the spotlight and I remember we had this conversation and you were like, yeah, well, try that and doing it all the And I was like, yeah, okay, Sean can do that. Like I can just get up onto a stage with a microphone and tell a story. <laughs> and you did and you do. And I think, I think what makes you expert at what you do is you understand the reasons why people might not have the confidence to tell their story. And I think sometimes empathy isn't enough. I think actually having experienced 
that real fragility around creative around creative output but also around our own story there is one thing I I, I refuse to change and, and want to celebrate it's you know I have got this body and you have got those stories and the people that we meet have got those bodies and those stories so to be able to celebrate that at its most raw and real and then find ways to edit and play with that um, and still keep it honest and authentic that's where the fun really happens isn't it What do you think that are some of the major barriers and or minor barriers that people have to creativity? So I'm going to go full in societal pressures. I was so lucky. I, it was a conservative government when I was being shipped up to become cultured. Although it was a right-wing government at the time, there was still an understanding, very much informed from the Second World War, of the place of culture in bringing society together and in particularly in improving the working classes awful narrative awful narrative but I benefited hugely from it so you can hear that I was brought up in the Tory era because I'm like that was terrible but I benefited that was fine the biggest barrier to people's creativity is poverty social exclusion forget the whole mantra of Desperation being the mother or father of invention. Desperation is just desperation. If you are a young person and you are A, a carer, it's really hard to be creative. I can't bear the, the things around, well, you know, young people can social entrepreneur their way out of these crises. No, they can't. And they shouldn't be. Some can, and it's brilliant, but it shouldn't be a requirement. We know that the barriers to entry for the creative industries, we love to say that tech has flattened these barriers. It's not true. Being a woman is one barrier. Being white lessens that barrier for me. Um, being second generation on one side of university goers lessens that barrier again. Sadly, it is still a barrier to success for most people of colour. And you have to be incredibly strong, incredibly resilient. Forget anti-fragility in that one, it is resilience. You have to have a boundless energy to take them out of knockbacks from people. So those societal barriers are huge still in the creative industries and we can't pretend, we've, pre we've pretended too much in my lifetime that they're not. We've pretended that, that it's an open space and uh, that people aren't judged and they are judged. And also we've also pretended that People are colorblind and genderblind rather than embracing properly inclusion and diversity. I begin to see the energy to change that. But until we really keep our energy on, on changing that, those barriers will be there. I was playing around the notions of status earlier and uh, some of the barriers to creativity is as simple as somebody saying the wrong thing. So if you're lucky enough to get into the right room, and then somebody says the wrong thing the first time you get in that room, then we might lose that creative output straight away. And if somebody's brave enough to say it, to try again, again, their, their resilience and energy is depleted. So those things are really important. And I wouldn't be true to myself if I didn't say that some of my strongest creative outputs have come as a result of pushing back against abuse but that's because I'm surrounded by amazing people.
and that's not true for most people. And when we see status and hierarchies amplified, as far as the Me Too movement and further, and we like to believe, again, that the creative industries are a warm, accepting place, they're not, they're riddled with abuse, and we know that, and those are barriers to creativity. So those are all the really dark ones, really dark, really important, and it's one of the things that I am proud that it's a technique that Adrian and I co-developed. I'm sure it's informed by a lot of people, but one of the very first exercises we do with uh, people that we work with, and not always students, not always young people, is we ask them to map and to draw the industry and the way it works, and then show us what they want to change within it, and show us what they won't mirror in the way that they create their own business. And I think that's so important because I think everybody has experienced different barriers to creativity. And it's only when you ask somebody perhaps non-verbally to show it that you realize what everybody's individual barriers to creativity are. But there will be uh, access to the right networks. There will be confidence, there'll be money. And this is different to confidence, there'll be fear, will be a barrier to creativity. And if we can sort those ones out, and sometimes it is in our gift to be able to sort those ones out, then there's, there's very little barrier to creativity then. I think I work best when I'm with people who are sensitive to the broader society. Where I draw my own inspiration from are people like you, Ashley. Um, I'm going to mention a choreographer, Drew, who people who know me, I'm a massive fan of Drew McConey. I'm a massive fan of so many art forms and I'm unashamedly, musical theatre is right in there. I look at what Drew McConey's doing as a choreographer, particularly right now. So he survived the pandemic and I don't, I think as a choreographer, just as people who are composers, where you need other people to be able to do your thing, film, theatre directors, producers, people who can't just do it solo, it's hard. Um, but he's, he's just choreographed an extraordinary production, and obviously with the director too, uh, they, the, the production is of Carousel, two guys who have decided that they're not gonna play into the non-romantic definition of abusive love. I mean, who knew that abusive love was romantic? But actually when we replay now, a lot of the things that, that I've grew up watching. Anyway, I'm just gonna say that where I see, where I'm inspired and where I see people challenging creative norms, but making an impact on society too, that's where it's beautiful. So where I see, beautiful piece of storytelling, beautiful piece of dance that is also challenging heteronormative behavior, patriarchal society, asking us to change things as well as being incredible dance, incredible literature. That's where, of course, that's where I'm in my sweet zone. I think we, we have to know that every piece of work that we make will have a different impact. So although I talked about those kind of legs of creativity being financial value, social value, personal value, and aesthetic value, every time we make a new work, those four things will be in different orders. And I think that's important and, and that's okay. It's more than okay, it's right. Okay, so now I think we're going to move on to a different part of the podcast, and this is going to be led by Steph. So she's going to give you the lightning round. 
so I'll do my best to be as quick as I can. Uh, not normally my strong point, but um, here we go. So I've got a series of quick fire questions for you, Sean. Um, just don't worry about uh, your answer too much. Just see what comes up for you. So um, the first two are finishing the sentence. So finish the sentence. Creativity is a right and a privilege. Thank you. And finish the sentence. Something that is inspiring me now is you too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so we're going to think about different kind of genres of art, uh, but this first one is music. So if you had to listen to one song on repeat, what would it be? That's a wonderful and the worst question ever, because I love music so much. Hold on. Uh, sorry. Just wanted to check what it's called, because that's how much I love this, this track. <laughs> how awful is that? I would listen to Ghostine by Nick Cave, and I've chosen it from the album Ghostine because it's one of the longer songs. I would also choose, and I know I'm only allowed one, and this is where the lightning round breaks down. I'm going to go also, actually, with, yeah, Let England Shake by PJ Harvey, because I hate if I haven't chosen a female Thank you, Sean. I feel like we'll need to create a playlist um, come the end of our um, season with all of our guests' songs on as a kind of inspirational playlist. So I was just seeing the same thing. Watch this space. Okay, next one. Thinking about visual art, if you could have one piece of artwork in your home, money is no object, what would it be? Who is it by? I've got two pieces of art in my home that friends have made. And I'm afraid I'm going to go with it's awful to have favourites isn't it I always make this joke about not having favourites but I so have favourites and then I will tell people that they are my favourites um Adrian once used his incredible fine art skills to make uh projections for a production and one of the drawings that he made it was for a production of Macbeth one of the drawings that he made was to go with the witch's second sets of prophecies. And it was about nobody who is of a mother born and also the whole thing about trees marching. My dad getting more cross with me. Anyway, he drew this incredible, very, he drew it so quickly, pencil sketched, a child in a womb with a crown on and around the womb were kind of fibroids that, that actually were trees. And uh, I have endometriosis. I am non-diagnosed. They, they don't know why I, I am infertile, but I am. And this image of a child with their future around them in the womb and having to be painfully born and having seen Adrian draw it as quickly as, more quickly probably than I'm answering this question. And um, I, I would hate to lose that artwork. Wow, that's incredible. And thank you for sharing all of that as well. That What an incredibly poignant piece of, of work and something incredibly special. The next one, um, if you had to pick any film to represent your creative journey, what would it be? It would be Gypsy, <laughs> the <film of> musical. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, so if people haven't watched Gypsy, just watch it. <laughs> but it's about a pushy mum 
uh, who puts a lot of attention on one of their children, and and then uh, the the other child <laughs> becomes a burlesque dancer. Uh, but between it, the mom and uh, the mom and daughter discover a lot about each other, and also a lot learn a lot about when it's somebody's turn. And I think that that's what I really love about that film. I'm going to have to go and watch it now. <laughs> watch it. There's um. There's a uh, production uh, which had Imelda Staunton uh, playing the mother and it's on Amazon and oh God, it's a, it's a film production of the stage show. It's, I've never seen somebody sing a nervous breakdown before, but oh my gosh, it's incredible. It's one of the most incredible pieces of performance. Oh, fab. Thank you, Shan. That is my uh, Friday night. Have you really never seen it? No, I've never seen oh it. God. I'm obsessed with that film. Like I watched like I watched every version of that from like the old one in like the 1930s or 40s or whatever. And then the Bette Midler one. And oh, God, I love it. But I'm a musical theater nerd. Sorry, I'm ruining lightning round. As I said, I'm I'm not the quickest anyway, and nor am I very um, rigid in uh, how I'm conducting this round, so it's fine. <laughs> no, it's pretty, also, I started off really well behaved with like, two or four <laughs> word answers, and then I'm like, let me meander my way through this. <laughs> Final one now. So if you were to inspire a young person or even your younger self, what book would you gift to them on, your, on their creative journey? Oh... <gasps> Oh, what a horrendous question, because I give books a lot. I give books an awful lot. And books have to be right. You can give books at any point, but you have they have to be read at the right time. Um, and I've just gifted at Goldsmiths, we um, appointed six people as entrepreneurial fellows. And they're, they're people who range from mid 20s through to my age, I guess. Um, and so maybe this is maybe this is the answer. I gave them uh, a book by Angela McRobbie, um, and it could have been the On Creativity book, but it was um, a book on uh, feminist, the importance of feminism right now. And I also gave them a book by Kay Tempest. That book is very much around connection and community. The right answer. Oh, I wish I'd thought of this. The right answer would have been a notebook. I would give myself a notebook and I would give a young person a notebook those are the three right answers beautiful <laughs> can Thank I you. ask myself a lightning question yeah go for it please I don't know quite what the lightning question is but the answer is dance all forms of dance go and see Pina the movie go and see a piece of Drew McConey choreography go and see singing in the rain go and see whatever it is watch TikTok, watch dance, move your body. That's the answer. I don't know what the question is, Steph. You're going to have to come up with a question. Thank you. Well, it's interesting. I was actually thinking just before we were going to land into those quick fire questions that our genres of music are fairly limited and perhaps quite traditional. Um, so, you know, maybe we could add some, maybe we could throw in a dance one uh, for our next rounds for our next guests as well. Yeah, I was realizing I was trying, I was struggling to think of how I would get dance in, but dance has to be there as one of my lightning answers. I'll come up with a question later. We'll edit it in. It's fine. Backward <laughs> <laughs> improvisation. Perfect. So I, I think I have a lightning question for you. Like if you were to pick one medium of creativity that expresses your soul, what medium would that be? Dance. <laughs> we did it. Uh, really is dance. Really is dance. I'm clumsy with words. 
I hate drawing. Hmm. I don't enjoy making music. But I love dancing, seeing and doing it. Amazing. Sean, I think we've come to the end of our discussion. You have been astounding and wonderful as always. I'm so pleased that you decided to give this a go and let us torture you for an hour. Oh. Um, we're exceedingly grateful. Thank you for asking such good questions, for affording me the opportunity to ramble, but mostly affording me the opportunity to talk about some of the people that inspire me and help me do what I do. So, and thank you for being one of those people and now two of those people. So thank you both. Sean, if people wanted to reach out and find you, what would be the best way to do that? To have patience because I'm sometimes slow in replying. That would be the best way. Um, <laughs> I always do reply, but I, it, it, there are more and more ways of getting to me. So, um, so sometimes it takes longer for me to reply. Uh, if you Google my name, I am the only, no, no, I'm not. There are the Sean Primes. There's one who's involved in the NSPCC and she's awesome. I'm one of the few Sean Primes, but you also get a lot of Malaysian prime ministers and Russian prime ministers coming up. So the easiest way is to go to the Goldsmiths website, gold.ac.uk and put in S-I-A-N-P-R-I-M-E or Twitter. And if you see somebody coming up with NSPCC by their name, that's the other Sean Prime on Twitter. Uh, and there's also on, on Instagram as well obviously and LinkedIn but yeah uh, the other Sean Prime and I are getting good at, at passing people backwards and forwards to each other so. but I feel like that should be the title of the book the other Sean Prime so the answer is go to the Goldsmiths website and reach out that way that's okay. the sensible answer well Sean thank you again for your time this has been such a just such, it's just been such an uplifting and wonderful conversation yeah, thank you thank so you. much, Sean. Thank you both very, very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Curious About Creativity. If you like what you heard today, please like, review, share, and subscribe. If you leave us a review, it helps more people find us. Big thanks to our guest today, Sean Prime. Curious About Creativity is hosted by Steph Turner and Ashley Evenson. Music by Twins Music. Edited by Bex Devraj. Produced by Bex Devraj, Ashley Evenson, and Steph Turner. <laughs>